All right, welcome to another episode of Behind a Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today, I'm speaking with Mandy, who is an inspirational writer, entrepreneur, and speaker whose body of work focuses on lifting the human spirit. She has been featured in TED, Forbes, and Inc. Magazine. During the current pandemic that we're in, 2020, she created the Daily Uplift, a project authoring personalized notes and reflections to strangers to elevate mindsets and spirits and to help address its global mental health toll. So needed. Her debut book, Up, releases in 2021. It is a book inspired by Manny's personal story and recovery of two unexpected spinal surgeries in one year where she lost her ability to look down ever again. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been a while in the making. We were we were going to schedule this probably a year ago or so, and life happened, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, given you know the the surgeries you went through and just your world being mixed around, but I am so excited because that you know before we hit record, it almost feels like it's even a better time for us to be speaking given the most recent work and uh, everything that you've been putting your energy towards, I think really will resonate with everyone on the other side. So thank you. Oh, of course. Thank you. I I couldn't agree more. I think, believe me, I was all set to continue with my life. (laughs) I was was all set to- I can imagine. (laughs) And I got beaten down again. So um, I appreciate your patience in waiting for me to, to kind of resurrect again. Of course. Well, let's start off with, before we get into any of the work, like, I'd love to know a little bit about just who Mandy is. So, you know, who are you or how do you define yourself as um, just a, a regular human being? I, um, I'm going to kind of lean into the, the title of your podcast, Behind the Human, um, because for me, I feel like whenever I meet someone, um, or, you know, like whenever I want to learn about someone, I don't want to learn the basic stuff. Like, you know, anyone sure. who knows me knows that I will never ask a question. So what do you do for a living? You know, like I, I, I that's so uninteresting to me. I want to know their story. So for me, like behind the human is really, um, I think a beautiful expression of like, what's your story? Um, and I think for me, uh, you know, I would best describe myself as a storyteller. Um, and mm. I've always been that way, even since I was a little girl. Um, and I've always been, you know, super, super positive and super optimistic. And, you know, I wasn't like the world's happiest psychopath or anything. <laughs> like, I have a <laughs> yeah. of emotion for sure. But, um, but I've always kind of approached, you know, the cloud with curiosity first, um, and just kind of wanting to, you know, learn, um, I think, uh, you know, a lot. And I think that's really important when you, you know, consider yourself a cultural storyteller. Um, so I think, you know, positivity has always come naturally, um, to me and, you know, somebody, somebody who follows me on social media, I think said this so perfectly. They said to me, you're really good at happy. And I thought that Hmm, was so funny. Um, and, and so interesting, uh, you know, because I never, I mean, you, you know, Mark, you, you're familiar with my work. I never used the word happy ever, um, but that was their impression about it. And it wasn't until I started writing my book and reflecting on, um, you know, just moments throughout my life. There was this one story that I'll share with you in the spirit of storytelling, where I mention uh, in, in my book, I'm writing that 
you know, when I was a, a little girl, my mom would always do this, you know, remember when story. And she would say, remember when this happened, remember when that happened. And if it was something negative, I never could. And she would say, how do you not remember that? And I would just think, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I just don't. And I think that's how my brain works. Maybe it's a defense mechanism, but it would block out something that was negative or some sort of trauma that happened in my life. And it wasn't until fast forward, uh, you know, when I've been through everything I've been through in the past two years, recovering from two unexpected spinal surgeries in one year, um, when I was trying, when the staff at the hospital was trying to have me stand for the first time, uh, I guess I was, my body was experiencing such intense pain that I would black out, mm. like falling back in the bed whenever they would try to do that. My poor family around was witnessing this, you know, in shock where, you know, there's two orderlies and a nurse and a doctor kind of, you know, pounding on my chest saying my name, trying to get me to come to. And that would go on for three days. And I was diagnosed with something called vasovagal, which basically means when your body experiences an intense form of trauma, there's a signal that gets sent to your brain to block out. So I thought, yeah. sheesh, when I was little, I feel like my brain was training me for the big moment in those remember when stories to not remember them. So circling back to that comment of someone on social who said, you're really good at happy, I couldn't help but think, this entire time, I think I've just been really bad at sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, that's how I would describe me, a storyteller who's really bad at sad. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's, uh, it's so interesting because, I mean, I saw the vid one of the videos that you had posted a while back um, when you when those physicians or your uh, the, the people helping you were, were trying to get you to stand up and walk. And, mm. I mean, you could see it in your face, right, the, the, the pain there. But I find it interesting because it seems like everything that you're working on now is stemming from, you know, th those big events, those right? Events. Like, the, right? Mm -hmm. So how, why don't, why don't you, maybe why don't we back the audience up a little bit? Like, just provide a brief uh, recap of, of what happened. Like, why, why did you need these surgeries? And I think I wrote down something uh, at one point. Uh, related to one of the surgeries, and it was a line, your bones have rejected the fusion. We have mm -hmm. to repeat the surgery. Like, I can only imagine the, what, like, what was going through your head when those, when those words were um, said to you. Yeah. So it, it's um, the interesting thing about, I think what I've been going through in the past couple of years is that unlike a lot of injuries or surgeries or something like that, um, you know, there, for me, there was no accident. There was no injury. There was no climatic moment that I can point to that caused and prompted the need for this surgery. Literally one day my hand stopped working and then my entire arm and my right side became paralyzed. And, you know, I'm young, I'm super active, you know, I run, you know, marathons. I just yeah. ran a marathon a couple of weeks before all of this started happening. And, and I live in New York city. And one day I was going for one of my normal runs along the Hudson and literally my hand died and my arm died. And I felt like it was just tethered to the side of my body and I couldn't run anymore. It just sort of draped there. And I didn't know what was happening to me, but it got to the point where I couldn't even push a door open. And so I was trying to troubleshoot what was going on. I started with a hand and went to a hand specialist 
and slowly went to a shoulder specialist. And then, uh, and at one point they said, look, um, they actually said, you know, you have a torn rotator, uh, and, or sorry, a torn labrum and you need shoulder surgery. So let's get that. And it's probably from playing college sports and, you know, just over time wear and tear. And I'm like, but I could like throw a hard ball all day. It doesn't feel like this. Like why would my side be dead? And so it wasn't until, um, I got an MRI in my spine where, um, the discs in my spine were literally degenerated to that of a 90 year old for no reason whatsoever. They were flat as pancakes. And what was happening, which is really cool, um, how the body reacts is that the healthy discs around it were actually trying to close the gap because it was so wide. And in doing so, they were spitting shards of bone into my nerves and causing my right side to die. And so once okay. I discovered that neurological damage that was happening, I had five days to come to terms with the fact that I needed spinal surgery. Um, otherwise, the neurological damage would become permanent. So wow, I had the surgery. I'm going to pause you there. Yeah, so sure. what was going on? Like, how were you processing that type of information at that time? So that's a lot. It, it, it is a lot. Um it was bizarre to me because for somebody who I never broke a bone in my life, I never, I mean, I didn't, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm so clean in my eat. I don't eat meat. I don't drink caffeine. I don't drink alcohol. I mean, like the list is endless. So for something like that to happen to me, the only thing I can chalk it off to is, you know, life doesn't give us the luxury of a forewarning. Um, And so Mm -hmm. in those moments, I think you, you know, I think as an eternal optimist, um, you know, one of the misconceptions with being an optimist is that people feel like you don't experience that range of emotion, of sadness, of fear, of anger. You experience all that stuff. I think the difference is it's not that you don't feel them. It's that you don't stay. And so, Mm. um, for me, you know, okay, I heard it. I heard what was going on. Um, but I was already moving on to, okay, let's heal you know, like how, what does my recovery look like? How long do I have before I could run again? What does the light at the other end of the tunnel look and feel like, because I'm going to go through this dark really fast and I'm not going to stay. And so that's sort of how I approach, I think things in life. Um, Maybe that's why I don't remember them because it's a quick moment, (laughs) but, um, but it was very, very new for me to hear things like brain and spine and six hour procedures and rebuilding my spine with titanium. I mean, these are really scary things, especially, sure. you know, I'm a creative person, so I, I don't, and I'm, I've never been a fan of science, but I do know a little bit about, you know, the spine and I know that it, the spine together with the brain controls everything in our bodies, blinking, thinking, you know, every motion that we have, every decision that we make. So once you start to untie those things, um, it can get scary fast. And so, yes, it was very heavy, especially knowing that the recovery is long. It is, it is life altering. Um, and that you have five days to come to terms with this. So um, what was really interesting too, is that I was sort of, you know, just like anyone in life, as I mentioned, life doesn't give us the luxury of a forewarning. You're moving, you know, you're creating things, you're doing things, and all of a sudden they're stopped. So I found myself saying, okay, I just need to get these things done within the next five days 
because I'm going to be laid up for a really long time. And so what's kind of funny is I did a TED Talk, um, and this was after my first surgery, before I knew I needed a second one. So it's kind of funny. I look at that talk and think, oh, my gosh, the story's kind of null and void already. <laughs> I didn't know what was coming next. Yeah. I remember I hit submit for a video to get accepted for my talk at 543 in the morning. I left my apartment at six and checked into the hospital at 630 for surgery. And so I was um, bedridden for 10 weeks and you were forced to sleep upright in a hard brace at a 90 degree angle and oh, have boy. to basically learn your functions all over again. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, did that and I went through the recovery period and yeah, it was brutal. And, um, one of the first things I did was actually step foot on stage on a global stage to deliver my talk. Um, and I called it, you know, looking up in an epidemic of looking down, because when you're forced to look up, especially in a hard brace and, you know, you don't have the ability to look down, you see a lot of people around you in the world participating in this accepted behavior of staring at the ground. And I found so that, true. Yeah. And, and you know what? Our phones get a bad rap, man, because it has really nothing to do with technology. What we've actually done is condition ourselves to behave in the same way, even when we don't have a device in our hands. We, we actually act as though we do. And so I started to like uncover some of these reasons why just, again, approaching the cloud with curiosity first and and it's really some of the reasons that you talk about on your show, which is our mental health. And it's it's a heightened desire to become invisible. And it could be things mm. like sadness. It could be our anxiety. It could be depression, um, fear of being recognized, our differences, so many cultural things that we're seeing going on in the world right now. So that's a lot of what my talk was about. I wanted to start this conversation globally that wasn't happening. And I did. And it was great. And I started receiving stories from people who self-identified with it all over the world and had invitations to speak with like, you know, Brene Brown and Deepak Chopra and all of these wellness luminaries. And literally on what would have been my final visit with my surgeon on the eve of my one year anniversary of my surgery, it was revealed to me that it didn't work. And for no Oof. reason whatsoever, my bones rejected the fusion. I fell into this tiny window of 1% margin of error and was forced yeah. to relive it all over again. And so in that time frame I, of 14 months, um, I spent 21 weeks of bed rest and I, I just had to go through it all over again. <laughs> well, you had the experience at least. <laughs> it wasn't new this time, but man, I can't, I think, well, I mean, that's when we were scheduled to talk, I believe right around that. That's right that period. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a and I lot. Appreciate your forgiveness and my cancellation. <laughs> oh man. I like totally get it. Obviously <laughs> I, I can't even imagine. Well, this time though, the surgery was different. So this time it was going to be, it's a much more brutal procedure. Um, that I guess I'm told that spinal surgeons only perform it about 15% of the time because it is a pretty dangerous procedure. It was about seven hours. Um, and, it involved um, a few different procedures because of how my body responded to the first one. So, um, so this one was heavier. And also it affected me differently the second time around than it did the first time around. And what was interesting, mm, how so? yeah, what was interesting is that 
um, you know, when I heard the words that it didn't work and that we had the only option was to do it all over again. Um, I mean, my spine was literally detached and I was feeling some pain, but it's so difficult to tell what pain is when you're healing from something. It's very hard to determine like what pain is normal. You know, is this recovery yeah. pain? Is this rehab pain or is this pain? New pain. <laughs> yeah. It's totally. really hard to identify the different characteristics of pain. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of characters in that in that box of crayons. Sure, pain has a lot of flavor. Pain has a lot of colors. So, um, so it was really challenging. Um, but what was happening to me this time? I had a little more than five days. I had, I think it was maybe three weeks, and I thought this is just, and it was a silly thing to do, but I thought, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to eat super clean. I'm going to be super healthy over the next couple of weeks. Because again, I was focused on that light at the end coming out. I want my body to be in the best possible condition it can be to heal. I was already setting myself up for the healing process, but in doing so, what I was doing, which by the way, was stupid because as I've already told you, I eat so clean. I don't, I don't, I don't eat meat. I don't drink alcohol. I don't drink caffeine. It was, I was already a clean eater. So this was a foolish thing to do. What I started doing is I would pick up a piece of food and I would look at it and I would question, what if there was something in you that, you know, actually harmed me or retarded my progress in some way? And just in case I'll push it aside. And I kept doing that for days. And it got to, I think about four or five days where I didn't eat a thing. And so I was probably subconsciously looking for something to blame and food became it unknowingly. Okay. Um, and so by the time I was discharged from the hospital, I was actually discharged as malnourished with a potential eating disorder. Wow. And again, for somebody who is very strong in mind, very strong in body, Um, this was just my body's way unknowingly of kind of acting out. Um, and it, it felt like it was a subconscious thing that was just happening. Hey, just wanted to thank you for being here. And if you're enjoying the show, drop us some lovely stars, wherever you're listening, they really make a huge difference. Also, after requests from you, I've put together some mental fitness training packages in collaboration with Thrive Medicine. I'll work directly with you to help implement and personalize practices and routines to ensure your mind is thriving. Shoot me a message directly or check out the link in the show notes. Thank you as always and back to the show. How are you, you know... We've been chatting now probably about 15 or so minutes. And mm-hmm. what keeps coming to mind for me as I hear you speak about the, the, the whole journey so far, mm-hmm. you know, f- for the whole conversation so far, what keeps coming to mind for me as I'm listening to you speak is this incredible ability to be very much tuned into A, your your own body, but also mm-hmm. have this approach or attitude that all of this stuff is either happening for a reason or are warning signs for something else. Like where where did you pick that up in life or what allows you to uh, approach life like that? Because there obviously could be a completely different take on that, which many have and would lead down some pretty dark paths. For sure. I think, um, you know, I think I kind of go back to how I described myself in the beginning as a storyteller. If you are telling a story, and I mean a really good story, you are by nature a curious person. 
And if you have that um, sort of instinct of curiosity, I think you organically are a good listener. And it's funny because I get into this conversation a lot with people about the difference between hearing and listening. And I think today in a world where we're consistently distracted, it's easy for somebody to try to, I'm using air quotes here, you can't see me multitask. And it drives me nuts because that really doesn't yeah. work. It just means that you do multiple things poorly, <laughs> like not as well as sure. if you're doing one. So, okay. <laughs> but someone will like, you know, I'll say, are you, are you hearing me? I'm listening. I'm listening. Okay. But there's a difference. Like listening and hearing are two different things. When you hear someone, like when you really hear someone, you are actively participating and engaging in the process and in their story. And you're going along with the journey. If I'm listening, I'm just sort of like, it's lip service to me. So I think, sure. I think just, um, you know, there's, there's this wonderful expression that if you, if you listen to your body when it whispers then you won't have to hear it scream. And I, Ooh, think, I love that. And I think just really paying attention to the whispers um, really make you not just a good storyteller, but it makes you really connected with yourself and with the world around you. To me, the whispers, you know, it, like in any good story, right? Like to me, those tiny little, those tiny little, little gems, right? Those tiny little things that are buried deep within the universe, like that's where the magic happens. So for me, I've always paid attention to the little things. I've always heard the whispers. And I think that organically makes you a super connected human to both yourself and to the world. But how do you, practically speaking, mm -hmm. how do you hear those whispers? Because I think something that many of us struggle with is just a clouded mind. Like there are a lot of narratives running. There's uh, just in general, uh, society in general, in, in the world that we live in, there's a lot of content, there's a lot of information. And, and you know, it's it's challenging to quiet mm -hmm. that, right? Because I think to your point, the, the signs and the whispers are there. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not like they're, they're not. And we play a bit of a game on, okay, how can we be, how can we bring the, enough clarity and silence to our mind to actually see those things? And then step, next step obviously is, is take action when you see, see them or hear the whispers. Is there anything that's been helping you um, hear the whispers? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think as anything, it's an active daily practice. I really do. I even sure. think that optimism requires an active daily practice. Um, but I am, a very peaceful person. Um, and I live in the quiet, like, which is kind of ironic because I live in New York city, but it's quiet for me. It's peaceful for me. Um, and so, uh, what's interesting is I recently wrote this, this one daily uplift for someone. Um, and I'll read it to you and it's about peace. And it says one day you will look back on this moment and know that you had peace, not because you didn't hear the noise or because you didn't feel the pain, but because in the midst of those things, you still found a way to be calm in your heart. And I think that's what it's about. It's not about you being immune to the noise. It's not about you being immune to the pain. It's feeling all of those things, but still being calm in your heart. And I think that requires an active practice. For me, um, you can clearly see that I find a lot of power in words. Um, and it is one yeah. of the reasons I started the Daily Uplift, because it's something that I did for myself, I was doing in private um, for just people who would write to me. And then I made it, um, I made it public. But for me, I, I do lean into the power of words. They're very healing. And also, um, they reset my brain um, in those Ooh, moments. Like 
Um, and, and I think that's, that's a really important thing to do. And so many people, um, I, I think, you know, like whatever their practice might be, some people meditate, some people write, whatever it is that resets our brain, I think you find that active practice of peace. And once you start to do that, again, it doesn't mean that you're immune to pain or noise. It just means that even when you're amongst it, even when you're in the midst of it, you still find a way to have calm in your heart. Well, and I think the other thing that happens is that there there's a a level of confidence that comes with that as well because you know you have you know you have the tools and the and the practices to handle situations, right? Just mm-hmm. just having that alone, uh, I find at least personally gives a little bit more confidence in in just daily life in general, right? It's really funny that you bring that up. Um one of the things that you know about me just with marathons, and this is actually a part of my book and it was a part of my TED talk. I'm going to caveat before I say this. I do not recommend this to anyone. (laughs) This is an (laughs) absolute insane thing to do. But um, I actually ran a marathon without training. And again, on on a scale of one to 10, like 10 being the dumbest thing you can do. I mean, it's a solid nine, you know, like it's, it's really not, sure. but I did it because I was invited to be part of an editorial team, you know, like as a writer, as a columnist to help bring the event to life and as a runner, as an athlete. And, um, you know, I just, I didn't have the time to train for it, but I wanted the experience because I set out to prove a theory. And this is again, as a storyteller, super curious human, I was told that running a marathon was 90% mental. And I wanted to prove it. That was my theory that I wanted to prove. So I set out to run the LA Marathon without training. Now, again, caveat, I'm a good runner. I ran races before. Um, and I, you know, focus, my, my body of work is on elevating the human spirit. So I work mm-hmm. with a lot of professional athletes and coaches and all of whom are at the top of their craft and all of whom said that running a marathon is 90% mental. So I set out to do it. And What's really interesting is it was, and I did it, right? I, I did it. It it wasn't pretty. It was painful, but I did it. And so when I was done, I thought, this is awesome. The only thing left for me to do is like order a pizza, take a bath, hop on the flight home tomorrow so I could write my column and tell the world this new theory that I just proved that running a marathon is 90% mental. It wasn't until after I started retelling that story and really sitting down and thinking about it, especially for my book, that I wasn't testing mental toughness at all. I I kept saying that I was, but I wasn't doing that at all. I was actually testing a belief in myself. There was absolutely, I had absolutely no doubt that I was crossing that finish line. I knew I could do it. I, I had no doubt at all. And so I really feel like I was testing a belief that I had in myself. And that's not an overly confident thing. It's not an overly cocky thing. It's just a genuine belief in your abilities. And so I do think um, like exactly what you're saying, that a bit of that comes from an inherent belief in yourself. Um, and, And that's really important to have in your core. Totally. There's, I mean, thank you for sharing that. It's, it, it hits home um, for a couple of reasons. One being, uh, I I've only ran one marathon, and it was, and I thought I was doing it in a weird fashion. Like I had never run at all before, so I just literally entered in whatever the tip. I think it's like a six or seven week training program, but coming in completely 
non-runner and I felt destroyed at the, at the end of that marathon. So I can't imagine uh, how you, your body was feeling. But to your point, like, again, it, yeah, I finished it as well and I ran it with someone else and it was kind of a similar situation and, and we were kind of mental uh, coaches for each other essentially the whole way through. Like, okay, we're going to run to that next point there. Then this point, it was just, it turned into a game in that sense. But we, there's so many things in life that, you know, we, we're just scratching the surface of our mental capacity, right? Like mm-hmm. we could go so much further uh, and you can, you, you feel that, I think it's easier to feel that from a physical standpoint. Uh, you know, you just mentioned that. I mean, there's another beautiful example is from David Goggins and, in his book about, um, I think it's called "You Can't Hurt Me" or something like that. It's a it's a pretty big seller. Um, well, let's shift gears a little bit, and I'd love to know a little bit. I mean, you've brought it up a bit about the the daily uplift, yeah, um, and then just ups in general. Why don't you just provide a little bit of a description of what you're working on? Um, it seems I, I I can see where it's come from, but it, just to give the audience a little bit of an idea on either how they can get involved or, you know, where you hope to go with it. Yeah. So for me, what I found to be really interesting is one of the things I started doing, um, and this was really for, through my second surgery is I started to write reflections throughout my recovery. And I did this as a way to, to heal myself. Um, and it could be something, you know, just a simple thought, uh, I, I actually started keeping a journal and, um, you know, there are times obviously when you're dealing with your spine, there are times when your hands don't work and you can't lift your arms and you certainly can't write. And a lot of my recovery, I was, you know, tethered to a morphine drip. And, and so I actually, um, had this wonderful app, um, that I was using and sometimes it would just be a voice activated note. And, you know, sometimes it's handwritten when I can, but, they were just simple reflections of whatever I was going through to help get me to the next breath, um, the next, mm. you know, the next hour, the next day, um, what, and eventually the next step, whatever it might be. And, you know, going through this twice, um, you're so disconnected with the world. I mean, this is 21 weeks of bed rest and then there's a six months rehab. And so having to do, you know, it's, it's intense isolation. It's intense solitude and you're very disconnected and having to go through it twice. I didn't want to be disconnected from the outside world again. Um, and cause you do feel like you're erased. Um, you're erased from both being connected professionally and personally, but you also feel like your identity has been erased because you're self-identifying with being nothing but a patient for a really long time. And so you know, writing these things down was a way to heal myself. And one of the things that I started doing to help reconnect with the outside world is I started to share them and I shared them on my social feeds. And what I started to notice is that they started healing other people too. And people all over the world would write to me, either respond to my posts or they would write through DMs because what they started doing is that they saw a little bit of what they were going through or what they were healing from um, in a piece of my journey too. And so Mm. I would, you know, respond to them. And I, I started this active practice of truly responding to strangers. I didn't know. Um, I would take maybe an hour a week and I would respond to DMS and, and then I started to write reflections for people too. 
And it was just really to help do what it did for me, elevate their mindset and share a perspective to lean into when they needed it most. And because of their responses, I knew that this practice needed to be made accessible on a broader scale. Um, And I felt like when this pandemic hit, you know, I was in the midst of rehab and, you know, the inability to rehab um, certainly pales in comparison to what a lot of people, unfortunately, are suffering from with this horrible virus. But I felt like I woke up and one day looked at the world and realized, wow, like the entire world right now is healing from the same thing that I once faced. And maybe not, you know, two unexpected spinal surgeries in one year, but the stuff that comes with it, immobility, isolation, a looming new normal, and a bit of the unknown. So, you know, as someone who, you know, I felt like I I had... I felt like I had a responsibility to show up for service during this time. And I was scratching my head trying to figure out what I can do. And so one day I stopped looking and I started listening to every single person who wrote to me and started sharing their story after reading a little bit of mine. And that's really how the daily uplift was born. So I I wanted to make this this um, practice that I was doing in in secrecy and in private, I wanted to make it accessible at a global level. And so Um, basically I invite people to share their story. Maybe they're going through something. Maybe they're just feeling something based on the state of the world. And in response, I author a personalized note of encouragement and a reflection for them to either save, you know, on their wallpaper or just lean into when they need it most. Um, And I do, I don't, all of their stories are kept confidential and I do share only what I write, the reflections I write for them on my social feeds using the hashtag, uh, the daily uplift. And I share their first name and I share their location. And I do that because I feel like it helps to humanize the words. Um, Of course. And I I feel like in the same vein as people saw, you know, they started to see a little bit of their story after reading or seeing mine. I feel like it helps people feel less alone in their journey when they can see that another person somewhere around the world is going through what they are too. Well, I think it gives hope, right? It does, which is exactly my goal with this project. So my goal really with the Daily Uplift was simply to shed a bit of hope and optimism and just a simple light to carry us through the dark and together see how simple it is to lift one another up. Amazing. So what would be, where do you see it going, Mandy? Like what would be your ideal outcome in a few years from now, let's say? Yeah. Oh gosh, I can even do by the end of the year. I'll tell you. Okay. Perfect. Uh, I'm. And it, what, what's interesting is staying on point of you know whenever you feel like you're looking to start something or take action for something, my advice would be you know stop looking and start listening. And mm. um, in the same vein of how this project was born, um, I'm doing the same thing and how it's evolving. So people are already asking, you know, I, I read about ups and I read about, you know, the, the projects and, and what you have in the works. Have you thought about packaging the daily uplift and making it available in an app? Because I would so love that on demand. I would so love that, you know, daily through an app. So that's one of the things that we're looking to do. Um, and so, uh, which will be ready for the, um, for the fall of this year. And additionally, um, my book that I started writing from my recovery bed, and I'm actually still writing as we speak, is coming out next year, uh, and that is called Up. And 
um, one of the things that I actually started to organically integrate in is one of the daily uplifts as a chapter intro. Um, and again, yeah. because they really do help to reset your brain um, and they just reset your mind for the moment to help get you through, you know, the next, the next breath, the next thought, the next hour, the next day. Um, and again, as a, you know, inherent storyteller, I do believe that, you know, the world is very dark right now, you know, um, but you know, one person can help us feel seen and one word can help us find hope. Um, and one thought, you know, can help us share optimism and take us to that next breath, that next moment, the next day. I mean, you know, I went through my experiences. I, you know, you kind of have this agenda every day of your to-do list and everything that's in front of you. And for me, everything I wanted to do, everything that was in the works was taken away from me. And the only thing that I was left with is how am I going to, how am I going to get through this moment? Um, how am I going to get through this moment of pain or be able to put one foot in front of the other again? And I think when you become laser focused on getting through the moment and mastering moments, you know, that's um, those ways that you do that. For me, it was through really through words gets you there. So powerful. It's, I just, I always, I have such a smile on my face because I'm always <laughs> in, you know, in awe about how so many narratives in our own mind, you know, send us down these, these dark paths and kind of derail us. And yet at the same time, like a couple words or thought or reflection can literally within seconds snap us out of that or pause the conversation, mm -hmm. right? Which, mm -hmm. which is powerful. I'd love to ask you a little bit about your questions. Cause I mean, you obviously write quite a bit in, in journal and in, in different forms. Are there any reflective questions that are consistent in your life or during some of these bigger events that you were reflecting on? You know, yes, I would say, um, you know, it's funny. There's one in particular I actually, you're going to, I mean, gosh, you'll say you did this in college. I actually have been doing this since college, which is a Herculean amount of responsibility to put on the fragile psyche of a college student. But <laughs> Whenever I was faced with a big decision, as big as my decisions could be back in college, I would often think if I had a daughter someday and I was retelling her this story, is she proud of how it ends? And I have mm. a shih tzu. I don't have a daughter, but I have I I have a lot of nieces and nephews. And there is one that came out in particular who we call Mini Mandy. And so I often think of Gia, and I think if Gia was hearing the story of her aunt Mandy, is she proud of how the story ends? And if she is, I know it's the right thing to do. And if she's not, then I know I need to change course. I love that. So that's definitely one. And I think it's a little bit of a spin on kind of what would you tell your younger self, right? But I think this one yeah. is a little more, um, it's a little more cutting to me because, you know, it's, it's, it's your mini you, it's your mini me. It's not just your younger self that, you know, this is my niece is someone, um, she, she, uh, I, it last year for, um, what do you want to be when you grow up day? She actually dressed as me. And so, and she even had like her picture with her dog. Cause I have a little dog and like, it's amazing. It is. And so I, I, I think of that. I even had a really dark moment during my recovery too, um, where it was just, you know, it was just really hard. I was on my hands and knees in my living room and I felt like I couldn't take it anymore. And I thought of Gia and I thought, 
you know, she doesn't have an aunt who stays down, you know, she has an aunt who gets up, and I got up. And so that's one thing that that I do. um, That is one question that I that I do ask myself. Uh, And then I think the other one, too, is that as a storyteller, I do feel that every single one of us is an untold story. And that's how I approach people. That's how I approach my life. So I do think of someone reading the pages of my story. And, uh, you know, again, do I like how this story ends? And if not, I change it because I do believe that we're all in control of our own narrative, regardless of our circumstances. You know, our circumstances may be out of our control. um, But you know, our, our narrative, once they're there, once these characters are present, um, is very much in our control. We hold the pen. So I do think of, I, I do think of it as a story. And I do think of how is this chapter? How do I want this chapter to end? How do I want this page to turn? Um, and, and that helps me, you know, keep going as well. These are great. Yeah. I, and I also, this, this one is super simple. Um, but again, reflecting on like a daily uplift, mine is really, really, um, surprising because there is this wonderful quote that I did not write, (laughs) but I just, I'm so connected to it. And sometimes if I feel like I need to reset my brain, I read it and it's, it's, um, I'm going to make everything around me beautiful. That will be my life. And, and that's it. And I do mm. feel like we're all put on this earth for a purpose. And I do feel very connected that that's mine. Um, and that does reset me very much. So it's by Elsie DeWolf. And she, I think, was um, the founder of interior design way back when. And so um, it has absolutely nothing to do with, I think, humanity being beautiful. I think for her, it was really aesthetics being beautiful, which you could argue also helps to elevate the human spirit. But for me, just a reminder that I'm going to make everything around me beautiful, and that will be my life, uh, reinforces a purpose for me and a mission. That is beautiful. I was going to ask my final question, but I think you may have answered a bit. But it you know, when, when you close your eyes, like what truly makes you smile each day? Okay. I mean, I, I have to be honest here, right? Cause my puppy lights me up. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> he's my heart and he's, um, his name is Dante. He's a Shih Tzu. He's awesome. If you follow me, he does make a daily dose of Dante appearance. So, uh, you will understand. Well, he's why. the mascot, isn't he? He is. I mean, he yeah. is, he's the international spokes puppy. You know what I'm saying? So I, I do, you know, behind the human is great, Mark. I really think your <laughs> version needs to be behind the puppy. Um, Love it. <laughs> so for me, that is that is true bliss. But I honestly, um, so I would say, you know, it's kind of like if somebody says, what's your favorite movie? And you're supposed to say like Gone with the Wind, but it's really old school. So there you yeah. go. That's my old school is my puppy. So then I'll give you the proper answer, which is um, truly these stories that are coming in with the daily uplift. Um, and I, I, they're all confidential, so I'm not going to share any. Um, I can share topics. Uh, as I mentioned, they're really depicting moments in time. But um what happens afterward lights me up and it's basically somebody responding back saying, I woke up this morning and this was the first thing that greeted me. And they're in tears, um, just so grateful and so thankful. And they saved it on their phone and they lean into it when they need it most. It is so rewarding and healing to know that 
what you create, that the art that you put out in the world um, is having that kind of an effect on another human being right when they need it most. And I think one of the things that was really eye-opening for me, probably too, is that every single one of us is healing from something, whether it's something oh, you for can sure. see or something you can't. Um, we are not alone in that, every one of us. And I think, you know, you asked me earlier about like, not staying positive, but sort of finding, um, you know, just like being able to hear and kind of move, you know, your body and things in the universe and move yourself along. Um, I do feel like the one beautiful thing that comes out of any setback, no matter how big or small, especially something like mine, is that it is a gift. And that sounds strange, but you are given the gift to connect with other people who too are healing. Um, and so you don't have that if you don't go through some sort of healing yourself. And, you know, for that reason, it very much is a gift. So just being able to do that really puts a smile on my face. Well, I mean, I have a big smile on my face right now because I, I, I really want to thank you on behalf of myself, but everyone listening as well. And just acknowledge the energy that you're putting out into this world to help others heal through your own healing, essentially. And it's just a beautiful thing. You can hear the authenticity and in, in the conversation in your voice. And, you know, I just think of some of the, we touched on some of the events that you've gone through already in your life that could have gone in so many different directions. And so I want to thank you for taking the the path that has led to so many other people around the world benefiting from your experiences as well. So thank you. Oh, well, that's so nice of you. You don't need to thank me, but <laughs> um, thank you for, for having me and for doing what you do too and putting this out in the world. I think just behind the human is just such a great, it's just such a great expression. It really is. Like I said, to me, it just signals that there's an untold story that exists inside everyone and your ability to pull that out is really needed. So um, it's, it's an absolute pleasure to, to be here and to have the opportunity to do exactly that. So thank you, Mark. I'll receive that. Thank you.